hello, 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 post-edit Clive here. Uh, just to say this was recorded about four weeks ago and I've only just got around to editing it, so apologies that some of it's a bit... Um, it is the content's absolutely fine and in-date, but we sometimes mention some lockdowny stuff that was from four weeks ago, but just in case you got confused. That's why. Uh, anyway, great episode, and I'll try and get things more quickly to you next time. Hope you enjoy it. Bye. Get your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast which supports the return of CFAX and Teletext Um, Brought to you by Fantastic Lawrence Fox The story of a political underdog Who rose from the ashes of a failed marriage To Billy Piper To outbattle political dynamo Count Binface I have to make clear I felt pretty dirty accepting Lawrence Fox's money for this But times are hard Um, And you know To be fair um, You could say he won in, In a way um, he got. I think he got something like forty thousand votes. God knows where they came from, but uh, <laughs> um, I couldn't vote in the London mayoral election, and I know neither of you two could. But who who would you guys have voted for? Um, well, from what I understand, the um, the f- uh, obviously you could you could afford to vote for your your actual first preference, um. And then just vote for whoever you actually wanted to win as the second because of the way the votes are distributed in that election. So uh, most likely I would have voted Green and then Sadiq Khan, I would have thought. I mean, yeah, I was hoping for more like a comedy vote to start with, followed by a real one. But yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I think I'm, I was... Obviously Count Bin Yeah, I mean, obviously me. Bin first had the most progressive manifesto, but, you know, we can't always get what we want, can we? I quite like that other guy who um, he said he was just doing it for the bants or something like that. Um, Who was that? I can't can't remember his name. Um, There's quite a few comedy candidates, uh, which I think is the only great thing about the British political system. You just don't get that anywhere else, or not not to the same extent, I don't think. Well, from what I saw, um, the Tory candidate Sean Bailey was basically a satirical creation. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, he got worryingly close. That's that's the disturbing thing about it, yeah. I mean, I don't think he got that close if you dig into it, but like how he got votes is what's beyond me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just reading through Binface's policies, and I think, yeah, definitely would <laughs> would get my vote. Making Piers Morgan zero emissions by 2030. <laughs> Big fan of that one. I think the only way to do that is to put him to sleep. <laughs> Not that I am calling for the murder of Piers Morgan before anybody else uh, says claim so. Oh, you might you might be on Good Morning Britain in a couple of days. <laughs> Has he gone well, back to that yet? Has he inevitably? No, gone? it's um, it's it's thingy. Um, oh shit! What's his name? Ah, uh, spin doctor, Labour spin doctor. I've forgotten his name. Alistair Campbell. Yes, he's the replacement. Is it yeah. really? That's a, yeah. That's a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Didn't know that. I thought that guy had take, who'd uh, criticised Piers Morgan had taken over, but clearly not. What, the uh, weather? I'd... I think, is he now on the panel at least? Has he got promotion? I, I don't so, know. I, I, I don't re- 
Yeah, I don't really watch Double it. Duty. Not often. Me, me, me neither. <laughs> no, it's only when you see a snippet on the news when uh, when Morgan's been gassing on again. That's the only time I ever get exposed to it. But uh, another really important policy here. Uh, moving the hand dryer in the men's toilet at Uxbridge Crown and Treaty Pub to a, quote, more sensible position. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's... Camping a, face has got all your big... <laughs> I mean, that, that's a sensible, achievable policy. You know, some politicians it promise is, the it, world. Yeah. Um, and the British, the British public can't get its head around a big policy. It's a bit like when uh, Corbyn promised free internet, which sounded like a great policy and was actually quite doable. But the, the public didn't buy it. But the public can buy the idea of moving a hand dryer. So, you know, clever <laughs> political manoeuvring um, from Binface. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, that's how I'd describe it. Um, anyway, we are here for episode 168 of Stick Around. Um, I'm here with, as you've already heard, Alex Wayne. Hello. And Michael Johnson. Oi, oi. Uh, how have we both been? I feel like it's been probably a month or so since we did the last recording. Maybe maybe more. Yeah, pretty yeah. good. Um, I've been, um, as, as I always do, I've been watching through all of the Oscar Best Picture contenders. Uh, I always say this, the Oscars are not necessarily the best, uh, you know, that list is not necessarily the list of best films of the year, but, um, you know, it's not a bad starting point and it's just become a tradition for me. Um, I'm going to be talking about a couple of them today. Um, despite the fact it was, you know, a year with, again, less cinematic releases, thanks to uh, all this business with, you know, COVID, but um, there were still some really good films in there uh, that you could imagine might have made a list in a normal year anyway. Interesting. I've really been so out of the loop that I don't even know what's won Oscars and stuff, so I'll be interested to hear that from you and... Uh, you talk about a couple of the best picture candidates. That'll be good. I love um, your, uh, I loved your total underselling of the pandemic. There, Wayne. It's just oh, like, yeah. all this business with COVID. Oh, well, you know, bloody... I just I don't want to worry about it anymore. I mean, obviously, I'm. No, you, I, know, I, I, I don't want to make that sound like I'm not obeying the rules. Obviously, I obey the rules, but um, you know, I'm sick of it. Like I'm bored of it as well. Even though it's yeah. such a horrendous thing that has you know, killed so many people and, you know, it has taken my sense of smell as well. I don't know. I've told you this. Um, Still obviously, yeah, I've virtually no sense of smell. Um, I can smell things sort of, but not, it's more or less gone. I mean, out of all the senses to lose, that's not the worst one. Um, but you know, if you were giving me a hypothetical question, I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'll just, I'll lose the sense of smell. Uh, you know, what do you need that for? But I do miss it. You know, no, it's obvious, yeah. It's quality. It's a quality of life thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Is it is it coming back, Al? Not really, yeah. no. Um, so, for example, yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, this is probably the, the where I notice it as a positive. When I'm changing the cat's litter tray, I can no longer smell the cat <laughs> shit. Um, which you know that is a positive, but I'd like the option of turning my um, tend to smell off at times, but then turning it back on would be great. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't sound great. I mean, my sense of smell has never been fantastic, but it's passable, um, which I feel is like a good is a good level. Do you know what's really weird though? And this is going to sound so strange. Um, the only thing I can smell really well at the moment, and seems to be literally the only thing, is bread. And bread does not really smell of anything, mm. as I recall. It's almost like I can smell the yeast, which is it does weird. have like a sort of smell, but it's not a very strong one. 
Yeah, but I can, I can. So I open like a packet of bread, like fresh bread, by the way, not you know one that's been sitting around for ages. And I can smell it immediately, <laughs> but I can't smell nearly anything else. It's not like it's completely gone, but it's so faint or basically non-existent. Shittest superhero origin story ever. <laughs> yeah, the man who can smell bread, <laughs> bread man. <laughs> Maybe you now become like a really bloody superhero baker. Um, that's, that's it. That's your origin story right there. COVID. What do you, do you think I can just, smell. just get a job at the Warburton's factory smelling all their bread? Yeah, that one's off. That's good. That's a good one. Yeah. So is it just ever since you had it, Al, that you just not been um, able to smell? Yeah. I mean, I can't exactly pinpoint when it happened, but yeah, it, it seemed to go about then and it's never returned. That is. Pretty shitty. Um, as far as I know, I've not had it, so I've not lost any senses. Um, Michael, have you lost any of your, any of your <laughs> senses? I think I've lost my, my mental, most of my mental senses, but yeah. we'll not go there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the capacity to maintain my mental health is about gone. But uh, in terms of yeah, the traditional so. senses, um, <laughs> they, they seem to be intact for now. I can, good, I can, good. I can tell you Michael's fashion sense is still great. I was worried about that at times, but, you know. Okay, great. It's still there. <laughs> Yeah, the main one. Got to protect that. Yeah. <laughs> that is the main, yeah. The last sense I want to remain. Um, cool. Um, well, I, I've not been up to loads. I've still been... It's been a bit weird, as usual, but um, just seen more people outside and such. Excited for cinemas to open. Um, don't know, um, Ali, you'll probably know more about this. I'm, I'm assuming most of the big films aren't going to come out until restrictions get eased yet further because I um, can't really sell that many tickets when people are spaced out and stuff. I don't know, um, I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, the only one I've really looked at is Cineworld, who I still have an unlimited card with, although I haven't been paying for a while, obviously. Um, when I look at what they're now booking, um, they, are, they are doing some pretty big films still. So, for example... Um, Godzilla vs. Kong is on there. And I'm going to go and see that, by the way. I don't care how stupid that is. That's a perfect cinema film. Um, they've got things like um, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is one of the, the Oscar films I'm not going to be talking about, but that's one of them. Um, they've got uh, then Tom and Jerry, the movie. Didn't even know that existed. Um, <laughs> Peter Rabbit 2. I mean, maybe there that's aren't any... Real big hitters. But there are some. I've seen a list of films that are coming back in June time. So as far as I'm aware, they are going full steam ahead. Like there's some big Marvel Marvel releases coming out. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And next week, I'm going to see a film called uh, "Those Who Wish Me Dead," um, which is a thriller uh, starring Angelina Jolie and Nicholas Holt. Um, and it. But the, the main reason I'm interested is it's directed and written by Taylor Sheridan who did uh, the criminally underrated um, Sicario. Well, he wrote it anyway. And he's al- he's also done uh, several other great... F- uh, Hello, for- Hello Highwater, for example, as well. Great thriller writer. I think um, I- I'm looking forward to get- getting back there. Um, I've said this many times, but it's not the same watching it at home. Because you just... There's, there's just an, a level of immersion, even if it's just a you know a globo cinema without much of an atmosphere. Um, mm. Just being immersed there, it's just better. Yeah, sure, I can see that. I've struggled to get immersed in stuff more during COVID times as well, personally. Um, mm-hmm. On t- when I'm watching it at home, so yeah, very nice to go to a cinema. Um, 
that's about it for me. <laughs> no, no major change. Just been playing a lot of guitar, a lot of guitar, and a lot of Call of Duty, which I might go into at some point. Uh, but let's start with Michael. What's uh, the first thing you've got for us today? Okay, I'm um, I'm basically just going to give some brief thoughts about some albums I've been listening to lately, um, just as a as a way back into it, I suppose. Um, so one that I've been listening to a lot is um, Visions of a Life by Wolf Alice from 2018 in preparation for their upcoming third album, Blue Weekend. Um, so I remember uh, years back when this uh, this podcast was very new, I remember Cable talking about their debut album. Um, Indeed. It was uh, many years before I heard it again. Uh, but it's it's mostly this second album that I've been listening to, um, <clears throat> and I've been exploring it a lot more thoroughly than I had in the past. Uh, this made me very excited about the upcoming album. Um, this album, of course, won the 2018 Mercury Music Prize, and I think really helped to establish them as one of the leading uh, guitar acts in British music. Um, it's a very interesting album stylistically in terms of um, the influences that are in there and I think <clears throat> it holds up as a a great example of what uh, some guitar music has been like in the 2010s and earlier but especially I think recently in that it sort of blends all manner of different time markers in terms of styles and influences from different decades and I think you could, you could easily place it in any of those times. If you gave someone it completely out of context to listen to, I think they'd struggle to place it. Um, there's there's certainly elements of a lot of uh, 90s alternative rock. Now, obviously, alternative was rooted in the 80s, but I think the styles here um, are really things that became established in the 90s. So a lot of it is quite dream, dream poppy, a um, little bit shoegazy. The opener... Heavenwood sounds very 90s to me, um, but it's especially heavy. There's some quite heavy stuff on um, on the album, uh, which is, um, I suppose, quite unusual for, for this style. Uh, but yeah, the way it's recorded, the sound is, is quite dense at times. Um, but a lot of the... There's a lot of beautifully pronounced sort of trembling, really naked guitar pieces on the album. And I think... They're sort of reminiscent of um, some of the sort of the technical guitar music that was ma- like massive. I mean, it's impossible to imagine now because this sort of thing doesn't break through. But massive in the nineteen seventies, um, and that sort of that sort of resurfaced later on, probably again in the nineties with the sort of uh, the influence of sampling. A lot of it sounds like uh, the sort of thing that you might, you know, you might find in music that utilizes tape loops. I find that really interesting. Uh, it's pr- pretty psychedelic. So there's a whole blend of things going on here uh, that are really interesting. As I said, some of it is heavy and very aggressive. The second track, uh, Yuk Fu, which is a very obvious spoonerism, um, it's very brief, but uh, it's it packs a hell of a lot of energy. It's it's um, it's very in your face. Um, the uh, the track Planet Hunter has what can it's very brief, but it can only be described as a sort of Deftone style post metal breakdown at the end. Uh, I wish it was slightly longer because it's quite breathtaking. Um, a track like Don't Delete the Kisses, which is I think the best known track uh, from this album, and which is a, t- a, t- a track you'll hear being played 
uh, in the mainstream Radio 1, um, which shows some of the crossover appeal of the band. A uh, really beautiful song. Um, there's a lot of... Um, I mean, I'm not going. I haven't, I haven't prepared anything to delve into this in depth, but there's a lot of very evocative lyrics throughout, um, especially the track "Formidable Cool." I would say uh, very interesting commentary on dynamics, um, and especially towards the end of the album with tracks like "Sad Boy," "Saint Purple," and "Green." Um, as I said, the, 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 some of these tracks, the way they've been recorded, really sounds quite massive, and I think that's a lot of the appeal of uh, throughout the album. Um, it almost sounds symphonic, even though there's no there's no um, sort of symphonic uh, playing on the album or anything like that. So I think that's a testament to the way it's been recorded um, and the recording quality. And in that sense, it sort of reminds me of again another '90s reference, um, Dogman Star by Suede, which is in for my money may well be the finest Britpop album. Although it's quite overlooked, I think not so well known. Um, that does, of course, include orchestral uh, arrangements. Uh, so there is a difference between the two, but it sort of reminded me of it in that sense, just because of the grandeur of it in in the fact that it's British guitar music as well. So I think that's an interesting parallel. Um, and spots on this album have just as much swagger as that one does. I mean, tracks on, on Dogman Star, like We Are The Pigs and Heroin at the front end of the album. Um, and on, here on Visions of a Life, uh, Beautifully Unconventional is uh, a superb track, another very brief one. Um, but really has, uh, as I say, a lot of that panache and sort of swag swag to it. Uh, again, a brilliantly realised track. So as you can see, there are plenty of those on this album. Um, the closing track is the title track, and that's uh, that's another hev- uh, pretty heavy one, playing with a lot of different tempos, um, big guitar track, uh, clocking in at eight minutes. So a grand statement to close off. And... Um, Obviously, it's um, it's great as well that we've discussed these sort of issues plenty of times on the podcast, but it's great as well to have a band this popular and this good who are female-fronted. Um, and Ellie Rousel, Rousel, not sure exactly how it's pronounced, um, is, uh, is, is a great vocalist who uh, and writer, clearly, who um, whose st- strength as a performer and writer is clearly one of the um, the things that is really at the forefront of this album. I think it's and there's a lot of growth here, obviously, from the first album, which is what makes the upcoming third record so exciting. Plus, of course, um, the band are and their albums are part of the um, the Dirty Hit constellation that I've talked about. A, very, a growing catalogue of excellent albums from that label, and uh, we we always like to mention it, of course, because we like to get any 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 reason we can on this podcast to mention either the 1975 or Ugo Ehiog. So. Uh, Ugo, Ugo. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so it seems like every time we every time we talk about music, it seems like I'm coming back to another Dirty Hit album, which I think, uh, again, uh, is a sign of the, the quality still coming out of that label. So I look forward to plenty more of that. Um, very much at the forefront of British music. But yeah, um, on the next uh, podcast, I think with a bit more preparation time, planning to talk in depth about a lot of British guitar music, because uh, this year alone, not to mention the last couple of years as well, I've seen a, t- a, a really growing number of excellent young British guitar bands who people are starting to take notice now uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. And uh, I've even seen uh, seen the uh, the movement 
I mean, I'm not saying it's a unified movement, but there's definitely something going on there. There's definitely rumblings. And um, I've even seen it referred to as the Brexit wave now. So I think that makes it official. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously Wolf Alice predating that, not really anything to do with it because the, the stylings really of what I'm going to talk about, those bands are post-punk. Uh, this is a whole myriad of things. Uh, but basically it's a lot of um, really shimmery, gorgeous guitar influences all perfectly poured into uh, you know this concoction of an album which has been one of the towering ones of British music from the last few years and that I've been listening to a hell of a lot recently. So if you haven't heard it, you should definitely check it out. I don't really this have much a, uh, on that. Sorry, Clive? <laughs> it's all right, Al. Um, yeah, I was just going to say pretty much the same except I've yeah actually downloaded this the other day on the old... Mm. on the old streaming platform that I use because um, of, yeah, pretty for similar reasons. There, I had an album coming out and uh, I've not really listened to much of them and I remember Cable going on about them in heady terms, so I just mm. need to listen to them and uh, hearing you <laughs> going about them in similarly heady terms is great. So I will be checking that out. I've not really listened to, um, me and you have spoke about this, Michael, separately, but not really listened to much. I've got a list of stuff I want to listen to from this year, but I haven't got around to it yet because I've still been doing my silly, uh, you know, I'm at the 79. I'm now rounding up the 70s, um, but I will at some point get to. I tend to like, it's around about this time where I tend to start focusing on the stuff that's come out this year because I feel like you start to get a good picture of uh, the, the cream of the crop, so to speak, <laughs> at, least, yeah. at least critically speaking at this point. Um which is good. So I'll be excited to delve into that um, and excited to hear about this uh, guitar stuff next next episode. Oh yeah, there's a whole there's a whole there's a whole treasure trove of stuff to talk about there because um, if, just when you think you've heard all the great uh, new British bands, at the moment another one pops up. So it's a really exciting time. And I shall uh, I shall give you some examples. Excellent. I very much look forward to that. To adding some more. Uh, more stuff to my list um al let's head over to what you've got for us okay uh so as mentioned as mentioned i'm going to talk about two oscar films um i'm going to start with the film that uh, won the best picture and um i haven't seen the entire list of contenders uh, i'm missing one because it hasn't come out yet and it's only getting a cinematic release um but I'd be very surprised if it shifted my opinion that this was the best film on the list. Um, that film is Nomadland, uh, which is directed by Chloe Zhao, who will not be well known to many people, or at least until now. Um, she's most famous for a film called The Rider, which is not particularly famous. Um, but next year, or possibly later this year, uh, she's directing uh, a Marvel film. Seems that everybody gets a, a go at one of them eventually. Um, it's based on the book Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century by Jessica Bruder. It uh, stars Frances McDormand, uh, who won a third Best Actress Oscar, uh, David Strathern, and several people basically playing themselves. Um, it tells the story of Fern, who is a nomad, as you can probably guess, who lives out of her van, travelling uh, around America, looking for seasonal work. Uh, so, for example, she does the Christmas shift at um, Amazon. Uh, she does uh, scrap metal work. She does berry picking, etc. Um, this is following the death of her husband and the her, the loss of her job at the US gypsum plant 
um, which was basically around a town in Nevada called Empire. Now, this is a very uniquely American thing, or maybe not unique, but it seems to me uh, that this entire town was constructed for one mining plant and then abandoned when the plant had to uh, be closed down. Um, this is an absolutely stunning um, visual piece of cinema, if nothing else. Um, the wide vistas, it's, it's almost like a, a, a roving Western film, albeit without the action. Um, I saw this on my 50-inch TV and it looked great, but I can't imagine what it's going to look like in the cinema. I'll definitely be seeing it a second time. Um, it's underscored by a fantastic soundtrack uh, written by Ludovico Ionaudi, possibly. Probably butchered Oh, that. right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the main kind of title track, I'm not sure if it was original for No Man Land or not, but it's, it's a beautiful piece of music. I would heartily... Um, well, I, I wouldn't recommend you listen to it before you've seen the film, really, because um, it fits so well. But if not, it's a great piece of music anyway. Um, absolutely beautiful. Um, it's called um, Ultramare. I'm not even sure. Again, I may have butchered that. Um, this is one of those films where if you're describing the plot of it, if you were literally to say this happens and that happens and this happens, um, it might not sound like a lot is really happening because it is a very realistic portrayal. Um, she moves on, she works, she meets one person who seems to, played by David Stratham, who seems to want a romantic relationship with her. Occasionally she has to ask her sister for a bit of help financially. Um, but I like slice-of-life movies. I like movies where the, the drama is just in the survival, um, and very much Fern lives... You couldn't even call it a bleak existence because Fern seems to like her nomadic existence. Several times in the film, she has opportunities to, you know, settle down in a nice house and maybe get herself another job, but she doesn't take it. Now, the film never really um, holds your hand and says, look, Fern is a wounded individual. Um, it, it kind of leaves it open. There's the possibility that she's deeply scarred personally, but there's also the possibility that she just likes the, the troubling existence. Um, certainly the film is quite critical of the fact that a 60-odd-year-old person would need to travel around, can't be retired at this kind of stage, but this is this is the reality of, um, you know, late-stage capitalism, if you like. Um, what I found really refreshing about the film is how many people were there playing themselves. So, for example, one of the main cast members is just a woman called Swanky. We never learn her real name. Um, they, they are real nomads and um, their acting is, is, is not bad mainly because I'm assuming that playing themselves and the scenes themselves are not massively overly dramatic um, one quite heartwarming anecdote I found from this um, is a scene where Frances McDormand is talking about the death of her husband it's quite a moving scene and after they finish shooting um, one of the characters who's playing himself um, says, oh, you know, that must have been really hard for you. I'm here if you ever want to talk. And Francis McDormand had to let him know, oh, no, my, my husband's Joel Cohen. Um, he's very much alive. That was not real. Um, so it sounds like quite quite a heartwarming moment. Um, I love this film anyway. It's It, it, it should be seen in the cinema. Um, if not, you can get it on Disney+, and it's great. Uh, you'll enjoy it anyway, but... If you've ha if you haven't seen it yet and you you can wait, I would seriously advise watching this in the cinema. Um, it, it's a, be a beautiful piece of work, and while 
it may not be to everybody's taste. I know there's a few people I know who've described it as boring. Uh, it was never boring for me. Um, heartily recommended. Um, this sounds great, yeah. I've had heard about this already, and I've seen a lot of the... I think it must have come up on my Instagram or something, <laughs> the adverts for it, or probably via some other outlets, uh, and it sounded really interesting, so... Yeah, this sounds great and definitely a subject matter that I'd be very interested in. And like you, Al, I'd really like slice of life films and mm. quite often ones that other people find boring. So, yeah, did you <laughs> end up being my favourites? So, I take, this, I take, uh, yeah, sounds great. I take it you, you recognised the, the composer. Yes, Ludovico Einaudi. Uh, yeah, I listened to, I've learned one of it. He's got a very famous piano piece called Igioni, which is one that I learned when I was. Learning the piano, uh, which has dropped a bit off recently, but yeah, he's a very good pianist and makes very beautiful, sort of quite relaxing piano music, so I can imagine him scoring a good soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally have no idea if, if the music was written for the film, but it feels like it could have been, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, sure. Michael, it, was this one that you, you were interested in seeing? Yeah, I definitely want to see this, yeah. Um, <clears throat> looks really interesting with the way it's been done. Um, and I thought you described it really, really well there, um, without having seen it, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a prime example of one where if it had been, if it had been normal biz- business as usual, I probably would have seen it in the cinema already. Um, mm. So that's that's where I've dropped off a, off a bit. Uh, well, but yeah, I'm assuming it will get a release in the cinema. Uh, you think they're missing? You would think that having given it the best picture, they'd be missing a trick, mm-hmm. unless Disney just decide that they want to make it exclusive to their platform. Um, now it's yeah. great that it's out there, you know, for people with a subscription to watch. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it immensely just on the small screen. But I am so looking forward to seeing this at the cinema. Yeah, um, and on you mentioned that she'd also done the rider, didn't you? I, I saw the rider. I think it was oh, okay it from about three years ago. Um, I was uh, a big fan yeah. of it. I can't remember if I talked about it on the podcast, but and it's too long ago for me to go into massive detail. But I remember really, really enjoying it. Um. I, I haven't seen it, but so. uh, yeah, I, I've been wanting to see it. And I think it, I think I wanted to see it based on your recommendation, uh, but I, I, I never got a chance. Um, so I mean, obviously she's, you know, she, she's got some big films coming up. I mean, I can't say I'm massively enthused about her talent going towards a Marvel film as much as I enjoy those movies, but um, she, she's one to watch definitely. Cool, excellent, very exciting. Um, I'll do my little segment after I'll do it at the end Michael do you want to give us your uh, second I think you said you had a second album to talk about yeah sure I'll talk uh, quickly about something that I um, I was listening to over the weekend and that I tweeted about yesterday <clears throat> so well I've already mentioned the 1975 so I might as well mention Tool as well right all my all my touchstones coming out today um <laughs> So what I tweeted was that, um, and this is very much how I've felt about Tool for years, uh, ever since I got deeply into them. Um, I've always I've always listened to a lot of alternative um, rock music, especially from the '90s, uh, from an angle of trying to discover, you know, who Tool's contemporaries were, what their influences were, what could be compared to them. And I do think they might be the most singular band I've ever come across. Um, you don't find a lot that's uh, that's very similar. Um, or that's obviously an influence on them. So, uh, I mean, some of their clear influences come from the 70s, uh, Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin, um, Red by King Crimson. Um, Very obvious 
uh, albums that uh, sort of informed their existence and the way they approach writing music. Uh, but obviously, uh, from the style of music and the fact that they were, uh, you know, pretty much the leaders of 90s alternative rock and metal, um, they've got to have some contemporary uh, influences. And as usual, as usual, Melvins are undoubtedly uh, one of them. Uh, one of the most underrated bands, one of the most seminal bands of all time, but uh, not really, not really talked about a lot beyond, uh, you know, big music fans. But uh, you know, an influence on pretty much all of the uh, metal and alternative rock stuff that has gone on since the uh, the late eighties, early nineties. Um, but the, but the album I'm going to talk about just quickly, really, is um, a nineteen ninety four album, "Welcome to Sky Valley" by Caius. Um, now, Caius are a band from um, from the desert in uh, California, um, and they, I think, they're a perfect example. I mean, they're the best example I think I can think of of the way that a band or an act is their sound is influenced by the environment that they come out of. Um, they are a very, pretty singular act in their own right, um, so they could be described as. Uh, stoner rock or desert rock which is often recognised as a separate thing and they're, they're an absolute, absolutely archetypal example of that um, the dynamics in their songs the atmospheres, the slow burn um, the way that you know twinkly guitar passages give way to you know heavy heavy dust cloud guitar riffs, you know it's 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 a perfect encapsulation of the environment that they're formed in. And they've talked about how, um, I was just reading as a bit of background yesterday, how, uh, you know, they said there were no, there were no clubs out there to perform in. So when you're growing up as a band, uh, you know, you perform at outdoor parties, uh, drinking events. And I think the quote was something along the lines of, uh, you better be good or you're not going to survive. Um, so to be forged in that, in those circumstances, I think, is obviously going to lend a band quite a lot of force. Um, I think that they're usually considered to have two classic albums, um, Blues for the Red Sun and uh, and this one, which is the follow-up to that, uh, Welcome to Sky Valley. Uh, and the, their final album, And the Circus Leaves Town, is often considered um, a great album as well. Uh, I don't hold it quite on the same level as those two. Um, but for me, Welcome to Sky Valley is the uh, is their ultimate album. It's a it's a ten track classic, start to finish. Um, I, I I don't just want to praise it in the context of Tool by any means. This is a this is an, a, a brilliant album, a legendary album uh, that people again should definitely be checking out if they're interested in the history of this sort of stuff, as I obviously am. Um, the kind of like well, um, it would be wrong to call them. I was going to call them a sort of reverse supergroup. Uh, but really, it was uh, it was of course Josh Homme who went on to uh, to gain much more exposure with Queens of the Stone Age, um, and bass guitarist Nick Oliveri, uh, also originally a member of Queens of the Stone Age, till that ended in some acrimony. Uh, but he did play, of course, on their uh, on the Queens of the, the Queens of the Stone Age's Stone Cold classic "Songs for the Deaf." Um, so I mean, we're really you know, you can see the. Uh, the pedigree there for both of them, but especially for for Homie, uh, to have been in two bands that can boast, you know, absolutely classic albums. Um, I know I'm touching on a bit of a sore point for Wayne here. I know he think he doesn't he doesn't like No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age, which has always baffled me. But. Well, yeah, it's not that I don't like it. It just got so overplayed, and I think it's you know it's okay. I just don't think it's that great. 
Yeah, well, yeah, that's fa- <clears throat> that's fair enough. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I, I can agree with you there. I, I like, yeah, I think it's the kind of song I'd like if I hadn't heard it seven million times, uh, <clears throat> but it is overplayed to the extent where it becomes and I'm like, oh, for God's sake. But there's a lot of songs that happens to, to yeah, me. I don't have true, a massive yeah. tolerance for overplaying. <laughs> Unless it's like, it has to be a specific type of song for me not to mind it being overplayed. If it's a bit more like fun, doesn't take itself that seriously, um, that can be fine. But a lot of songs I get tired of if I hear them too much. Yeah, well, I can, obviously I can relate to that. I just um, it's never happened to me with that song. Uh, that's that's all. So I just it just popped into my head. Thought I'd mention it. I think it probably depends on like even things are overplayed. It depends what context they're overplayed. <laughs> I think the yeah, more does, yeah. random context you hear it in, the more washed out it gets. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it dilutes it, doesn't it? Or it can. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so. As, as I said, full of praise for this album, uh, but what I was what I was obviously co- the angle of attack that I was coming at it from was that uh, I think it might be it may well be the closest that I've come to locating uh, the mother lord of of Tool's sound, and they did uh, go on to cover several times live uh, the track Demon Cleaner from this album, so it's established that this album has been an influence on them. They went they, after their debut album Undertow. Um, Tool, of course, released um, Anima um, the next year, so it would have been 1995, um, and that was uh, sorry, no, it was 1996. But that was obviously that that was the album where their growth, their growth, their artistic vision was exponential, and I think this album clearly ties into that um, as a uh, as a lord star for that, and um, yeah, it's it's in it's it's in what I mentioned. It's in those. Uh, you know the, the the extended song structures, the incredible you know shiver-inducing atmospheres of the album, um, the dynamic shifts, uh, the rewarding of patience, um, the incredible guitar riffs, both quiet and loud. Uh, it's all here. Um, it's just that, and I always think Tool Tool get mentioned a lot in terms of alternative metal, but they don't really get credit for developing post metal enough. I don't think, uh, and I think this this Caius album is basically in the same vein. It's essentially essentially post metal in its own right, uh, even though it's a bit, it's a little bit more hard baked than most uh, than most metal, which is what makes it more stoner. And obviously, it's got the psychedelic quality that that would suggest as well, um, which is very much part of uh, part of Tool. Uh, tools material as well um, but yeah I just think it's um, obviously I spend a lot of time thinking about these these things which is evident from what I talk about I think um, and it's, it's just fascinating to dig into uh, you know how how certain acts become what they become and I think obviously that's that's relevant here in the context of Tool but it's also relevant as I mentioned in the fact that Caius are a band who whose sound is the exact reflection of the environment that that has formed them and influenced them. Um, so it's all very interesting stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, it's uh, it's just fantastic music as well. Awesome. Um, we used to cover a. I was in a grunge band uh, growing up in school, mm-hmm. and where we used to cover a Kaya song because our uh, lead guitarist was a uh, well, sort of. We had two guitarists and they're both vocalists, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who's the lead. But anyway, <coughs> one of the guitarists uh was obsessed with um Queens of Stone Age and Caius and anything Josh Hommy. He called him Josh Hom. 
Um, yeah, I think most people did. Um, I did, uh, but as far as I, I became aware that, as far as I know, Hami is the correct pronunciation. So, just made the shift. Yeah, <laughs> I saw Makes him. Yeah. I, I saw him not long ago in um, at Toast of London when I was rewatching that. <laughs> Love that he has a cameo in that. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I've seen that, but he's got a very. Uh, I think he was in an Anthony Bourdain episode actually, briefly. He's certainly the kind of guy I would be in that. Yeah, he's got a very Josh Homme's got a very distinctive look, uh, which I've always mm. enjoyed. <laughs> he's um, he's quite a throwback, I think, in terms of rock star yeah. uh, style. Um, he's he's definitely got that down, uh, but he's also had a lot of very controversial incidents uh, over over <laughs> the years. So yeah, he's kind of from a bygone era, I think, a little bit. But he's he's contributed a hell of a lot to uh, to rock music. <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. So I'd be definitely interested in checking out these. There is a Caius album I've listened to and I was trying to figure out which one it was. I think it's Wretch is the one that I've heard most. Okay. Uh, yeah. From 91. Yeah. Uh, but from back in the day <laughs> when I was when I was in this band. Um, and I used to enjoy it. But That'll be the one, obviously I didn't mention it, that'll be the one I'm least familiar with. Uh-huh. Because the other, the other three, uh, you know, they're really considered canonical, if you like. Um, but yeah. So that's interesting. It's always interesting it could when be blues for the red. I'm trying. I'm basing it completely on cover because I don't remember any of the song names. It could be blues for the red sun. Yeah, well, that's... has that kind of color scheme. That's where, <laughs> as I say, I haven't really, I haven't explored Wretch in as much detail as the others. But that's blues for the red sun is where they really take off. That's that's mm. a, a fully solidified classic as well. Yep. Interessant. Um, and a, a, a great thing to bring up, which I didn't expect, uh, Michael. It's always cool to have these. Well, I like to, like to have a surprise up my sleeve, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. Um, Al, do you want to go next and I'll go last or the other way yeah. around? I do not. Uh, I'm happy with that. whichever way. Um, so, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll go. Um, second f- film I'm going to talk about is also was also a Best Picture nominee at the Oscars. Um, I debated about which film to talk about here because I thought I'd, I'd only do two. But I've gone for this one just because I just about preferred it. Um, it's a film called The Sound of Metal, um, which is directed by Darius Marder, who is, I believe, a first-time director. He's most he's most probably known for writing a film called The Place Beyond the Pines. Um, this film is written by Marder again and by Derek Cienfrance, who was the director of The Place Beyond the Pines. Um it stars Riz Ahmed, uh, Olivia Cook, and Paul Racy, uh, with music and sound editing by Abraham Marder, who I assume is a relative of the director, and Nicholas Becker. Um, it basically it's a it's a tale about a heavy metal two piece. Uh, so there is Ruben played by Riz Ahmed and Lou played by Olivia Cook. Uh, they tour America in a converted uh, bus which they live in, which ties quite nicely in with Nomadland, really. Um, after one of their gigs, uh, Ruben, who's the drummer in the two-piece, uh, starts to lose his hearing quite rapidly, and he becomes pretty much deaf overnight. Um, Ruben is a recovering drug addict who hasn't used heroin in two years, uh, but starts to have some serious urges, having gone through the, obviously, traumatic experience of losing his hearing. Uh, so he ends up going to live in an uh, addict recovery uh, group uh, in the country, uh, which is very specifically for deaf people, uh, run by Joe, who is the um, the counsellor there. 
Um, Riz Ahmed, in, in, in my opinion, was robbed, and I, I think he probably should have won um, Best Actor for this one. Um, this is a really superb, underplayed performance here, and I think I would have found it quite hard, if you, if you just described it to me, to imagine Riz Ahmed in a heavy metal band, but he's, he's very convincing here. And I, although I'm sure he's not doing anything too complex, apparently he does his own drumming. Um, the, I mean, Ruben is as a character is is kind of learning how to be deaf at this uh, recovery center. Um, you know, he's learning sign language, which Rizama did for, for learn for the film. He's learning how to use his other set, you know, senses, how to lip read, and he's kind of learning the idea which. As I understand, is common in the deaf community not to think of it as a disability and to think of it just as a different way of existing and communicating. Um, Ruben, at the same time as learning all this, is secretly saving for quite controversial cochlear implants, uh, hoping to restore his hearing and get back with uh, his girlfriend Lou and get back touring. Um, and he's kind of wrestling with the moral quandary of that. Um, I would say the one thing that really stands out in this film more than Riz Ahmed's um, performance is, believe it or not, the sound editing. So not even so much the, the soundtrack, but the way sound is used in this film um, to not just portray deafness, but to portray the um, kind of isolation that Ruben first feels. Um, from what I understand, um, the best way to watch this film, not just at the cinema, which uh, you know I'd recommend for anything, but is also to watch it with subtitles kind of experience it the way a deaf person would. And I could see that working. Um, I've only ever seen one film with subtitles at the cinema when me and Michael accidentally went to see um, Zero Dark Thirty with subtitles, which didn't make it a better experience. But I, I think with this film, it would. Um, critics who've seen this with an audience have described how deaf people in the audience react entirely differently um, to um, people with hearing. And, which I thought was very interesting. Um, I yeah, I, I, I really like this film. Uh, it's available on Amazon Prime just as part of the subscription if you've got it. Um, another highly recommended one. I, I've got honestly no criticism for this whatsoever. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought uh, I thought it didn't take a side really. You know, Ruben is not really willing to accept the fact he's deaf, but he's still learning at the same time that maybe he should. And um, the implant surgery he's saving for um, is not going to necessarily change his life back to what it was. And uh, I thought I thought it was a really understated, well done piece of cinema. This is the um, this is the one I want to see most from the Oscars bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I want to see Judas and the Black Messiah, um, I mean metal plus Riz Ahmed. I mean, what what more can I ask for? You know. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, um, it, it does on paper like you hinted at when it does sound like a unusual prospect. But actually, based on past form, I wouldn't put anything past him. I don't think as an actor. Uh, so that's that's what makes it so interesting. Uh, but I hadn't thought about it in the ter- in terms of uh, how deaf people might uh, view and interpret it. So that that is really that gives it an extra edge. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I, I was I was hard pressed between this and Nomadland for which one uh, I would have ultimately given um, my best picture to from the nominees at least. Um, yeah. I mean, ask me on a different day, maybe I'd say this instead. Um, in 
The other film I was considering talking about is Minari, which is also, I'm not going to go into, but is also superb. Um, I know out of the three, Minari was Nicola's favourite one, so we've all, we've been watching the three of them together. Um, but they're all really recommended. I, th- I think Sound of Metal for, for you two will uh, definitely go down well, as will Nomadland, to be fair. But I think you'll enjoy this from the music perspective. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. Um, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the Oscars. Remind me of who he was robbed by then? I can't, I can't remember. Uh, so, interestingly, um, the Oscars normally gives out Best Picture last of all as, as the, the big one, but they decided to go with Best Actor last. Now, they seem to have done this... That's weird. ...assuming that Chadwick Boseman was going to be posthumously right. honoured for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, I, no, I, he's very good in that, by the way, although I didn't love the film. Um I would personally have given him the award even. But, you know, I think people assume that because, you know, he tragically died, that mm. Andy was very good, that he'd probably win. Uh, he didn't, and uh, Riz Ahmed didn't win either. Somehow Anthony Hopkins won um, for The Father, which is the only film on the uh, Best Picture nominees list I haven't seen yet. I'm sure he's very good in it, but, you know, he, does he really need another Oscar? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, felt like, it felt like Riz Ahmed deserved it to me. Yeah, no, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, especially because, obviously, I would look at Best Actor and Best Actress as equivalent awards, so to put one last feels strange, but there you go. Well, I think... Yeah, I think- that's, that's going to be my comment, but yeah. I, but I can understand, I see where oh, you're coming from, Al, well, maybe that was the thought, but still it well, seems Yeah, that, seems that, odd. That, that, that's what <laughs> people seem to think, uh, like they were going to give him, give him the... Yeah, I, th- I think they were assuming that he was going, um, Bozeman was going to win, and then they were going to go into you know a celebration of his life. Um, so it ended as a bit of a damp squib when Anthony Hopkins wasn't even there; he just had a pre-recorded message. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's an unusual one. Yeah. Interesting. I've, I've been meaning to see this um, for a while, Al. Uh, obviously, as soon as I saw the the trailer on, I think it just came up when I was on messing about on Amazon Prime at some point. Um, and thought, uh, that looks like something I'd enjoy, but also <laughs> quite close to the bone. I'm not deaf, but I've got tinnitus thanks to drumming uh, in a grunge band uh, mm. as a young one. And I, like, losing my hearing is, is one of my phobias. Um, pretty badly, like, I wear earplugs and stuff at gigs, and I sometimes take... They do, like, impact the sound in a negative way, which for someone who's so sound-obsessed is quite annoying. Um, so I sometimes take them off if I go to specific gigs, but I'm always paranoid. <laughs> Uh, about like, my hearing getting any worse, so I guess maybe it was a bit, a bit too close to the bone. But I will at some point. Yeah, uh, I mean, get around to watching it. Th- this m- this may play more like a horror film for you. Then I mean, <laughs> d- don't get me wrong. Obviously, I'm also well. I- I'm not really paranoid about it, but you know, the idea of losing my hearing would horrify me. Um, but you know, <laughs> th- this is from what I understand a pretty realistic portrayal of how you lose your hearing as well. Um, mm. So. Yeah, you might have a totally different experience. But yeah, I will need to watch it. Uh, But anyway, I'll go on to my little bit. Before Um, you do that, Clive. Sorry, Michael, go on. Since you've mentioned them a couple of times, I'm not sure you've ever mentioned it before. What was the name of the grunge band? Stonewashed. (laughs) (laughs) That Um, um, That is quite grunge, actually, yeah. I mean, that wasn't my favourite name, but 
I didn't come up with it. But um, I feel I'll like the, to... I feel like the past tense is is ruining it a tad for me. I just think stone wash would have been better, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. I think you, I think they're thinking about the jeans, aren't they? Oh, no, I don't. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, uh, I guess. Yeah, it was the <laughs> the guitarist Alex who came up with it. Um, I'll have to. I might, you know, play a maybe I'll play you guys a track at some point yes, live on air. Please do uh, if I can dig one out. But um, yeah, we had it. I'm sure fair, it... we were. A, don't want to blow your own trumpet, but we were pretty good. We had um, Matt, who's the, the two guitarists with brothers, and the, uh, rehearsing them was, with them was hilarious because they would generally just argue about who got the solo and who got whatever else. Um, <laughs> Solos being, in grunge, in grunge, what? Yeah, we were pioneers. <laughs> um, we went, we won. Um, well, no, we came third in a battle of the bands in Retford and got invited to some studio time and we recorded well matt recorded a solo and i remember the engineer just going do you realize that solo is completely out of key <laughs> and, and matt was like matt was like yeah i know i don't i don't think he did know but yeah uh, uh, that's he intentional mate yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> well actually actually uh, so, i'm just thinking about it the worst solos in grunge weren't there but the bands that did him were like they were just as much like hair metal influenced as grunge, really. But yeah, I suppose Paul. Yeah, to be fair, I don't think we had we had many. Um, but yeah, we were all right. He, it was mainly thanks to Matt, who had a very like convincing Kurt Cobain esque voice yeah, that that fit well. Um, <laughs> well um, I have no doubt that it was musical genius. Oh, <laughs> get out. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, we yeah. were planning to come back. Michael Johnson will not be know. back on the podcast. <laughs> this is the last you've heard of him. <laughs> um, oh maybe you could edit in uh, one of the tracks as, as we're closing out here, or maybe yeah, I'd have to do some fighting. We recorded like some properly. Jeff to uh, uh, Jeff, Jeff to log into MySpace to get one. Well, that's the thing. MySpace died, and I think that's basically where we had them stored, and like, everything <laughs> that, just got lost. That was a joke, but yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loads of stuff got lost uh, due to the MySpace, whatever the hell it was, um, collapse. And I think our oh, music might have been some of it, but I'll see if I can dig some out. We definitely we did loads of like rehearsal room recordings, but they sound you know very demo, um, whereas those ones sound a bit more polished. But I'll see what I can do. God damn it, um, MySpace! What was what was it? Tom was it? The guy. Yeah, it was Tommy who messaged you. I don't know what he's doing now. I think he's doing something. Yeah, fuming with him, fuck's sake. Like, entire sort of early 2000s music just gone. I'm probably completely wrong about this, but I feel like Tom might be the one, like, sort of tech bro didn't manage to cash out. Like, he's just a bum now. Now, I I think he made loads of money, and I think he's... I think I imagine there's nothing more satisfying than cashing out for a huge amount of money and then seeing what you've cashed out immediately, de- you know, devalue itself. Yeah, uh, like <laughs> yeah, I, I milked this just long enough, sold it for a lot of money, and then look who's right, you know. <laughs> yeah, that would be satisfying. Like, whereas obviously, if you sold it and it just kept getting bigger and bigger, you'd be a bit like, even if you made loads, you'd probably still be like, oh well, I could have made even more. Such is the such is human nature, um, but anyway, but yeah, I'll see what I can do. I might it might be before next episode when I play one, and you can be like, and, and Michael will be like, "Wow, this is better than Caius." Um, you it's got really a, cl- it. a clear influence on Tool. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, definitely. Um, there, there was also a, a forum on um, about this battle of the bands, which unfortunately has now now been deleted, oh, uh, which is annoying. Where, where they were discussing it, and we got beaten by basically Muse 2.0, and I think Blink 182 2.0. Um, Blink and we were kind of. Uh, and they were already signed so shouldn't have been there they won Um, I don't think they've done anything I can't remember what they were called but yeah the the second one was so hilariously Muse 2.0 it was brilliant like the guy definitely thought it was Matt Bellamy Um, made sure to play piano and guitar had a very similar guitar uh, and vocal style and then but there were some people on the forum from those bands going on about Annoyed that we'd got uh, we'd got through at some point because we kicked out some other band. I can't remember. <laughs> and they were going, "Oh, it's just Nirvana 2.0." And then we were like, yeah, but look at all these other bands. <laughs> Literally, everyone was something 2.0. Uh, this sounds yeah, brilliant. Was, yeah, I mean, like how, it was amazing. Great how, forum, but I'm sure how many ba- how many bands are entirely unique? Really, let's be honest. I mean, especially at like sixteen year olds, you're not going to be that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm biased, but I do think we were the most unique. Like, we were quite nirvana but not massively. It was like a mesh of Nirvana, Queens of the Stone Age, bits Alice in Chains. We were all right, but I'm biased, obviously. Uh, whereas I did think the others were just massively um, the same <laughs> as... Muse, the Muse one was particularly bad. Uh, <laughs> they weren't terrible, but they just were... You would have thought... They would have, definitely would have made a good Muse cover band, I think. Um, but... <laughs> But hey. I don't <laughs> oh, the other funny thing, this the whole thing was just hilarious. Um <laughs> they announced so we got so there was like rounds and we won the first round to get through to the final. Uh, so that was fine. Then in the final they like announced the top three. Obviously they did it in reverse order, but I thought they'd said first when they said third <laughs> and proceeded to jump across the stage. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, Alex was like, you know, they just said third. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, I mean, I, to be fair, I was still happy with third. Is that, is that how you spun it? There. Is that how you spun it? Just like, yeah, I want, want it to come third. Yeah. I mean, I was happy with third. There was eight there. You know, I was not expecting to come third. Um, First the worst, third the best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. That's, that's how it, it works, right? Won. I'm going to have to find out, Blink-182, Mark II. I'm going to have to find out what their actual name was, but I think oh, with the lack of this forum, I'm probably never going to find it. Uh, but I'll try. It's lost, <laughs> I'll lost to can, history. That's... I'll see if I can find it. I'll ask my uh, my bandmates if they can remember. But I can't, so if, if, some, if there's someone else out there researching this, we've just created archival material here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this should, maybe exactly. this should be the main selling point of this episode. <laughs> The famous Retford Battle of the Bands of <laughs> yeah. 2000 and probably three yeah. or something. F- future Netflix documentary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great times. Um, anyway, we'll move on from that into my last little bit. So I was going to, I think I mentioned that I was playing a lot of uh, Warzone last time to the shock of the audience. Um, <laughs> so I'll, <laughs> I'll go through a bit of that. I'm still playing a lot of Warzone. Um for those who don't know what it is, I think everyone probably does because it's like a year old now and it's like everywhere. But I'll give it, I'll waffle through it. So it's like a, it's a battle royale game. 150 people land on a map, parachute. There's nothing original in terms of that bit, like, you know, Fortnite or um, PUBG. They're sort of the early pioneers of that style, which became very popular. And then all the big wigs, like Activision in this case, copied it. Um, and some won and some didn't. And this one seems to be the one that's kind of won out in the end. 
Um, so there's 150 people on the map. Last one to win survives. There's different modes. You can play it solos where it's just like one person on their own all the time. Um, so everyone for themselves, t- duos, which is obviously teams of two, and then teams of three or teams of four. Um, like most of these games, it has ways to make money. So you kind of land. You can use... You can obviously pick up guns just on the ground, but they're generally not as good as the guns you can get later on, which I'll explain. Um, but the you want to make money to then buy stuff, such as self-revive kits. Um, you can buy like spy plane flyovers, which kind of tell you where other players are briefly. Um, but the main thing is you can buy what's called a loadout, which is basically your personally kind of chosen set of weapons, grenades or whatever you want to use, um, which then drops and you pick it up and it's, you know, rather than relying on whatever the hell crap you found on the ground um so that's kind of what you're saving up for um i haven't i have to say i don't love playing um this on my own much um mainly because i'm not that great uh but it's been really fun playing regularly like a couple of evenings a week with three other friends in the quads mode um there's lots of there's a kind of real like camaraderie to trying to work together and uh, be the last team to survive and it's just been fun to like try and improve as a team and personally <laughs> as a player um and it's got like that side of it's got a real long-term appeal to it and i think at some point i will play more solos um i'm going to talk about call of duty cold war next which is the like multiplayer game um which is what i generally prefer to play on my own but which is basically because the problem with playing warzone on your own is if you're not great you land um whatever you might find some guns and you sometimes get yourself set up quite well and then somebody shoots you uh, and then you're just dead and you have to um you know, reload the entire game, go through the whole uh, palaver of figuring out where you're going to land, land, blah de blah Whereas in multiplayer games like Cold War, you die and you should come back instantly with the guns that you want because you choose them at the start of the game. <laughs> uh, and it's just a bit more chilled in terms of death isn't as isn't as final. Um, it's not completely final in Battle Royale because um, one of the nice things that they've, I think is uh, something they invented, is what's called the gulag. So you, you drop into... When you die the first time, you drop into a gulag and you play against someone else who's just died. You get given a random gun, and it's just like a one v one, and whoever wins that gets to fly back in one more time. Is that is that where that cunt came from? Because I did I do find myself wondering how gulag re-entered the modern vernacular. Is it because of this? Yeah, probably. Almost definitely. I imagine. Ah, there you yeah. go. Then discovered something. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, so you drop, and you can also come if you're in a team game. Like other people can buy you back. So if your three teammates are um, still alive, they can buy you back. But if you'd, for example, got all your good weapons through the loadout, you've then lost them, and you're dropping with nothing again. Um, so yeah, it's it's great fun. But I've been mainly playing um, Call of Duty Cold War, which on um, as much as I love uh, both these games, I the community around them can be a, a pain in the ass. Uh, which is I've said this about video game communities in general, and I think the Call of Duty one's probably particularly bad. Um, absolutely not 100% so. Um, I think there's plenty of lovely people that play Call of Duty. We um, ended up randomly, accidentally, one of us dropped out and didn't tell everyone else, and we ended up with a random uh, German on our team. And it was lovely. Uh, it was a great time. <laughs> so there are lovely people that play this game. Um, however, the, the community is a bit toxic sometimes, uh, particularly about Cold War. Everyone just whinges about it, which I never got because I bought it, and I was like, oh, this is really good. And I, and I have tried to get into... Um, I know I've slated Call of Duty a lot on previous episodes, into previous ones. Um, it's just never really happened. But Cold War I got into straight away. I just really like the maps. It's quite brightly coloured. It's a bit more arcadey. There's like really fun variety of weapons. It's very 80s inspired, obviously, with Cold War. Um, and 
I, I love the fact you know it's, it's simple 6v6 kind of team deathmatch mode you just come you die you come back you, you quickly figure out why the hell did I die what could I have done better there and you slowly kind of improve um, as you keep playing more and more and then you kind of take that into Warzone a little bit they're kind of quite different in terms of Warzone a lot of your engagements are quite rangy you're shooting up because the map's massive uh, you're shooting at people quite far away so it doesn't always translate if you're good at Cold War to being good at Warzone and I'm certainly a lot better at Cold War even though I'm still not great <laughs> than I am at Warzone where I'm uh, definitely in the shite category um, but yeah it's Cold War's not flawless by any means I think it could do with some more maps it, it's a bit grindy when it comes to levelling up weapons but it's like it's the most fun I've had with a game for a long time um, which is probably partly because I'm enjoying like trying to get better to then be a bit more of an asset to the team um, but I also think it's, you know, the, the quick thinking kind of quick reflex nature of the game kind of absorbs me completely, which is something I've struggled to find many things that are able to do at the moment. Um, you kind of have to, it's not a game you can like just lie back and chill out and go, yeah, I'm going to play some casual, uh, uh, Cold War you kind of have to be like okay right I'm going to I'm going to have a game and I'm going to concentrate properly otherwise you will do shit uh, but it's still in a way I find that quite relaxing because it absorbs me completely and I suppose it's it, some people find things relaxing that on the surface don't sound very relaxing whereas I don't find playing Warzone on my own as relaxing because I'm constantly worried like oh someone's going to kill me and I'm going to lose all this great stuff I've just got um whereas in a team of four that's not as much of a worry because it's well there's four of you so when you die you're like oh, i'll just we'll just chat some shit uh, <laughs> and it's good fun so yeah it's been a bit of a, a bit of a revelation um so that's basically what i've been spending a lot of my um non-guitar music time doing which has been fun um like i say i am still garbage but i'm getting slowly better the another hilarious thing is um i spent about three months being like exceptional exceptionally garbage not just garbage um and thought there must be some reason why I'm absolutely terrible, um, and it turned out I had a setting on my TV that like gave some input lag, um, which didn't wasn't noticeable because I always had it on that setting playing games. <laughs> uh, but then I turned it off and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Like everything, it just responded instantly to what I was doing, um, which when I first turned it on made me feel a bit sick. But yeah, it's, it's since made me a little bit better. So I'm now instead of complete garbage just garbage i reckon garbage tier um but yeah that's a fun thing which i think i'll be playing for a long time i'm quite enjoying i've always been someone who would previously play games finish them play another game finish it for variety and not been someone who would get into a game and try and get really good at it uh, so this is a bit of a bit of new territory for me um but i'm definitely enjoying that thing of practicing something and um but the practice element actually being fun and hopefully getting a bit better at it um, at some point I might be able to play Warzone and not be what a shite. That's the, the target, is to be just below average. That'll be fine. <laughs> mm. I'm terrible at Call of Duty. Um, I've only played Warzone, but I, I don't really play it much anymore. I just never get any better. and I, <laughs> I think there's too many other things I want to do. If I dedicated some time to it, maybe I wouldn't be so shocking, but I feel like you've got to put in some work to be half decent. Um it's a bit like a sport, which can make it, yeah, which is for me quite appealing. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, you're describing what you'll be at it as terrible, Alex. But <laughs> let's let's just be honest here. Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. redefine that term. 
yeah, actually, I'd probably pay maybe not a lot of money, but some money to watch you play that. <laughs> in fact, that's it's probably a good point. Like in terms of uh, obviously, I'm in terms of Warzone players, I'm garbage. But in terms of like your average person, probably quite good. And I think the skill level in Call of Duty and probably a lot of shooter games is really fucking high compared to most other games. Um, when you play them online, I think even you have to be like really realistically very good to be average, if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's full of people who have play, been playing CODs for probably years and years and who are very good. Can I? Uh, Whereas can, I have. Can I just point it. out the the one good thing I've done on video? Possibly the only thing I've done on a, on video games in the last decade. Um. When we were playing Halo, don't know what game it was. Any idea, Alex? A couple of years ago, um, it was Halo. I think it was Halo Three. I think I might be right, wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I was uh, obviously firmly bottom uh, out of those of us who were playing it, uh, but I did manage to no scope someone at point blank range with a sniper rifle. Nice. So, so that is my <laughs> that is my crowning achievement. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there it's you go. A- you've no scoped. It's uh, it's slightly better than the days when Alex was killing me on Halo by hitting me with a gun. <laughs> well, at, at the time, you couldn't get the concept of walking forward with one scope and changing direction with the other. Uh, it was like... <laughs> to be fair, it takes... That's the thing that's different. Like, I used to be very good at Goldeneye, um, but that's completely different. Like, you do pretty much all your moving with one stick, and then I think you strafed a bit with the the buttons on the right but you didn't really aim you just kind of moved and shot I don't know it was a lot easier the twin stick thing is definitely definitely takes a lot of practice to get reasonable at it thank you Clive so there you go so you're just a retro gamer um, <laughs> that's that's what it is I think in a modern world <laughs> I feel actually quite confident in saying though that Michael might be better at first person shooters than he is at actually shooting a gun <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the evidence of that does exist. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say no, no more. We'll ask. say no more. Okay. Yeah. In fact, wow. if 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 I get the opportunity to to do that again, there's not even any point in me participating. That's how humiliating it is. I mean, we're about to go go karting in a few weeks. Oh, I'm, I'm terrible thinking. at that. I think that's going to be similar, but for me, and I'm going with loads of. Oh, it's just going to be bad. It's just going to be bad. I'm going to lose. Michael, you're either really good at something or genuinely shocking at something. There's no in between for <laughs> you, is there? So bad at go karting. Like we went with work, I came bottom out of like thirty people. Uh, yeah, mixed <laughs> mixed gender group. Yep, comfortably bottom though. It's because I don't, I don't, I, I don't understand how people are doing it faster than the speed I do it at. I don't know how you can <laughs> safely go around corners at that speed. <laughs> I don't want to crash on every corner and ruin everyone else's experience, you know. I think I'm just planning to either just go out with a bang or lose. I don't know. Or not lose. Yeah, basically. So I'll, I'll, I'll prefer to crash than come last, basically. Someone the Which other- will still be coming last, but at least you went out in a blaze of glory. Someone the other week said to me, um, I don't know how it came up, they was like, I can imagine you being good at go-karting. I was like, you have no, I- you have no idea how wrong that is. <laughs> I think they were assuming that just because you're quite light. Must have been, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like we need to do a stick around go kart in a challenge. Possibly, I'm sure followed you would. By a shooting, you would followed by a shooting, followed by a shooting range. Yep, you'd be you'd be amused for sure. 
Well, at least you've done it before, Michael. I, for all I know, I might be even worse than you. I'm not sure. What, go-karting? Yeah. Oh, right. I didn't realise you hadn't done it. Yeah. No, never done it. I mean, ju- from your description, I feel reasonably confident I'd be at worst second last, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, <laughs> when I did it on one stag do, afterwards a lad said to me, uh, you were a very considerate driver. At one point I thought you were going to indicate. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Because I was basically just letting people lap me, basically. That is considerate, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Great times, great times. Um, I guess that's it, unless either of you have something else. No, no, that'll do me today. I had one in the tank, but I'll save it for next time. Next time I'll have a 2021 music fest. Ooh, exciting. Um, and I hopefully might have listened to some 2021 stuff as well by then. Well, Who we're, knows? We're, di- we're deep into it now. They're, coming, they're flying out every every week, the albums I want to hear now, so I'm a bit behind, to be honest. But we'll get to it. We'll get to as it, always. for sure. Yeah. Um, which I guess means it must be... Um, uh, 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 plug time! At Stick Around Cast on Twitter. Slash Stick Around Podcast on Facebook. Stickaroundpodcast.com on the interwebs where you can find every episode. Um, and also any articles that we've written, including the old best albums of every year. I am currently writing 1970s Roundup. And then I'll do the best of the decade, having just done 79, which is on the website. The 70s one well, might well be on the website by the time you hear this. Um so go have a gander at that. You can send us a message by pressing contact us on the website or email us at stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on pretty much any streaming platform, which I assume you probably know because you're listening, but just in case you don't. Um, and the most useful thing you can do is give us five stars on iTunes or one star um, because iTunes either recommends stuff you really should l- what, listen to or stuff that's like, don't listen to this. Uh, but we don't care about the exposure either way. <laughs> also, the, the latter part of that is definitely not true, but that's what iTunes should do. I feel like that would be interesting. Right. Well, and, yeah, that's it, I think. Oh, um, you'll have all probably guessed we're not going to be doing this weekly, but hopefully we can uh, be out a little quicker next time. But, um, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll keep sure. them coming. We'll, we'll aim for fortnightly uh, and see how it goes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, thanks to Michael for joining us thank you and thanks Al thank you Clive you're welcome and whatever you do remember to stick around stick around stick around Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around